What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Run Your Mouth podcast. No intro today. I don't have a Yosef. I don't have a porch. So, you know, it's like we're flying half mass. No intro. Anyways, uh, on the second half of this episode, we actually, I did do a summer porch tour episode. We only got a couple more of those left. And uh, not that this year was a big success. We definitely, you know, ran into our hurdles. But next year, we're going to be doing Summer Porch Tour 2.0. We're really going to build that thing up. Uh, and this week's episode, the Summer Porch incident was pretty interesting. That's going to be in the second half of the episode with the guys from uh, Capital Wrestling. But basically, I was looking at my notes from the last two weeks, and I had a whole bunch of news stories that I never got to. I, got, I never got to cover, so I kind of wanted to put them up front uh, and then get into the Summer Porch tour. So first thing I, I just want to kind of relate to you guys is uh, basically two weeks ago, I was riding on my bike, did not crash my bike again, <laughs> but I was riding my bike and there was like, a, all of a sudden out of nowhere, just a crazy, crazy, crazy ass, like, you know, flood. This guy just opened up on me. I got soaking wet and I had later in the evening, I was going to be, you know, basically hanging out with a guy who sponsors shit and spends money with me. So I couldn't look like a guy who just came from Waterworld. Like I, I needed to go basically buy new clothes. And so I went into a store to buy myself some, some new pants. There's nothing in the world I hate more than shopping. It's just the most overwhelming thing. It feels tedious. It just takes too long. You can never find what you're looking for. You got to try shit on. Like, I I just, I hate it. It's the worst. To me, it's the worst. It just takes so much of your mental energy, and you're not really accomplishing anything. And then, so anyways, I'm in the store, and basically, it's, it's called Paragon Sports. I'm in the store Paragon Sports, and I'm trying to find basically a new pair of kind of lightweight pants that I can ride my bike in and not have balls that feel like they were in a sauna. There's like a, you can't wear jeans when you're riding your bike. It doesn't work. They make like these new age clothing that kind of look like khaki pants, but they're super lightweight. I recommend it, especially if you're, uh, you know, I'm not such a heavy guy, but you know, if you got balls that, uh, get real stinky in the summer, go get yourself some lightweight shorts. Uh, it'll, it'll keep you, uh, out of the swamp ass. And I just, I recommend, look at me. I'm really doing a great job selling you on pants. I don't care. I'm not in the fucking pants business. What do I care if your balls suck? Anyways, I'm in the store and they might might as well just have put up a sign like, we don't serve short, chubby people here. <laughs> I'm just, everything was tall, slim fit. You couldn't find anything that even remotely came close to my size. And here's what I'm trying to get at. I feel like everybody my age, we're all into the fitness craze. Like millennials have gone balls deep into fitness and looking good. And we're starting to get uh, a little bit more competitive. And I think collectively, we all just have to chill the fuck out. Because basically, we're, we're all trying to be the, the best. But then that relative bar of what you need to be doing to be in like that top 10% is just going higher and higher. So collectively, I think we could all lower our standards a little bit. And it's like, in other words, the same people are always going to kind of be in that, like, no matter how much you go, like, for instance, I'm a dude who has overworked out to the point I've injured everything because I've tried, and I'm just not, I'm a, I'm a chubby Jewish guy. There's nothing, there's no amount of time I could spend in the gym that's ever really going to change that. I'm always going to be in, like, I, I don't know, maybe, like, the in the six range, so maybe, like, in the, the 60% of attractiveness people, and, like, I could try as hard, but so the point is, the tens are always going to be the tens, the six, so it's like, let's all just fucking relax, let the tens be a little bit not have abs, and then the sevens can be a little chubbier. It's like, we're all pushing our ourselves to to be in, and look more and then collectively it's just a lot of expended effort like we all just collectively should be more forgiving with each other and a tad uglier and you know 
I feel like it'd just be a better model for everybody. But anyways, the the, the pants, uh, like I'm finding everything, it, all pants now, they've just gone to the slim fit thing, which it, it, like, I don't know, maybe they, I guess they have the big fat and, you know, short people store or whatever that one, big, tall, something else. I guess they need the short and stocky. All right. I, I guess you guys get my point. I'm, I'm displeased with the current climate of pants that are being made available for people. Uh, all right. So now let's get into the news. It happens to be I had some leftover penis stories from last week that we didn't cover. So we're going to do a quick segment of this week in dicks, which, uh, you know, some of the better dick stories. So the first one is a man with no penis admits sexually assaulting two women who thought they were having sex with him. <laughs> and so here was a quote from the article. She believed she was being penetrated by his penis. The accused does not have a penis. And I'm reading this and I'm just thinking, this guy must be a hell of a listener. Like if you're really like in month two of dating some dude and you have yet to like be intimate with him, I mean, those are some serious, those are some serious listening skills. I guess kudos to that guy. And also, I don't even understand, like if you were a dude and you didn't have a dick, would you bother dating? Like, I, I don't know. I guess I don't really date at all, but I like the only reason would be because you have a penis. Like if you don't have the penis part, why would you be dealing? I don't know. Maybe that's just me. All right. Here's the next article, and uh, I'm here to tell you, book your penis picture appointments because research shows dicks are bigger in the summer. There you have it. The science is in. That sunlight, get your dick out there, show it some warmth, put on some lotion first, don't just, uh, because uh, your dick, the sun, it makes it bigger. Moore spoke with several urologists who backed up the men's claims and attributed the apparent growth in penis size that unlike in winter months when blood vessels contract, blood vessels may expand in the summer. And that's dangerous information to put out there. I could see some kids like putting their dick in the oven kind of thing, you know, making it nice and toasty before they get ready for a picture. Maybe other kids aren't that stupid. I might have done that as a kid. All right, moving on. Here's the ultimate step for stopping pollution. Turns out plastic is bad for your dick, which is also another reason not to wear a condom. Um, so, you know, if you want a reason not to wear one, plastic, apparently all those pollutants in your body, it uh, creates shrinkage, permanent shrinkage. I don't know if it went, quite went that far, but scientists claim plastic chemicals pa- cause penis defects and they've proved it in animals. You see these sick fucking science freaks are giving small dicks to mice. You really, you can't trust what they're doing. It's disgusting. All right, moving on. New York Post. Oh, we're done with the penis stories. All right. No more penis stories. Uh, well, we will bring back that segment, though, in the future. If you're, you know, sad that I'm out of penis stories and you're sitting there and you're like, when's he going to do penis stories again? That's the only reason I tune into this podcast. I want to hear these good old penis stories. Uh, there'll, there'll be plenty more penis stories to go. I might even do a spinoff podcast the, the this week in dicks or something. There, there's so much, you know, great news out there. All right. Moving on. Uh NASA says bombing Mars is not a good idea. So here's the thought. Some people think that perhaps if you set off an explosion on Mars, you could spark their atmosphere and create a climate that was then hospitable or, uh, yeah, I think hospitable for, 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 for us to live on that. Like you could go explode something by the polar ice caps, create an atmosphere. It might spark like, uh, basically a climate with trees and water and all that beautiful shit. And, um, basically NASA saying, Hey, our scientists, we've sat down, we've run it and we don't really think that's going to work. But my thought is, do we, do we really need Mars? Like, why not? Let's just go for it. If it doesn't work, who gives a shit? It's some planet. 
like, if anything, I think if there are aliens out there, that will show them not to fuck with us if we blow, they'll be like, whoa, shit, did they just blow up a panel, planet? Those are some badasses over there on Earth. So I say go for it. If it works, cool. Maybe some people could go live out there. You know, you'll actually have an atmosphere and a climate. And if it doesn't work, who gives a shit? I like, I, if I look up at the stars and I don't know which one of those is Mars, who gives a fuck? And if you're one of those nerds who actually are looking through a telescope every night because you like looking at Mars, which by the way, sometimes I've been... Uh, like at places and someone's got the telescope and you're like, oh, I'll take a look in that. And it's, it's cool for maybe three seconds where you're like, oh, cool. All right. I, I guess I can see that circle a little bit better. So I say, fuck Mars. Let's blow that shit up. Why not? Um, all right. Next article. Hillary Clinton is partnering with Steven Spielberg for a new TV show. They're going to call it Jurassic Cunt, The Lost Election. They're not really doing that. And you can't say that. That's not a nice thing to say about this lady who, you know, is such an unbelievable model for women and just loses a whole bunch and is kind of unlikable. But, you know, you can't call her that. Everybody knows that where it's inappropriate. Saying things like that could ruin your career. But this is what I found interesting. It's almost like she lost uh, the election. And I think, and this is scary for us as human beings, but I think there's this acknowledgement that like, oh, like if I want to get ahead in life, I got to be more entertaining. Like if it's not entertaining, if I'm not good at television, I'm not going to get anywhere. Like look at Trump. Trump is, I guess, pretty good at being entertaining on television. That is important. And even Obama's, I think, in uh, the television game a little bit now, uh, going over to Netflix. Or like I was watching... uh, that show, uh, uh, BBC, Planet Earth, I, I think you guys have watched it. I, mean, I, I think we might talk a little bit more about that one in another episode with Yosef here. I know how much he likes things on the BBC that has to do with little furry animals out in other places in the world. But anyway, so I'm watching the show and they're exploring some, I don't know, I think somewhere in the ocean where they're like, nobody's ever gone here before and we're, and firstly, who gives a shit? I, I don't know, whatever. But I was also realizing that if it wasn't for television, I guess nobody would have the budget to do this. Like, if you can't make something entertaining, there's no money in it. The money in it is the fact that you're actually turning it into television and entertainment, which means, like, it's kind of a hard way to, I guess, get investments into good things. Like, in other words, let's just say that a scientist was like, I have to go down there and see if there's new compounds that could save people or something like that. So, I don't know, maybe get an investment, but it seems like the current investment is being able to go to some TV channel and go, hey man, this is going to look good on TV. I, I, that's, uh, I'm kind of borrowing from that book, Entertaining Ourselves to Death. Really interesting read. I think it goes back to the 80s, but it kind of talks about the trend in uh, that television has created an environment where if something's not entertaining, no one's going to pay attention to it, which also means that if you got good ideas or if you're a politician who is smart, it doesn't matter. It's all about just being entertaining. All right, next topic. Uh, you got this. Uh, they're basically they're trying to get a new Supreme Court justice, and I was reading that uh, Chuck Schumer is basically demanding a shit ton of paperwork from the executive branch because he was working at the uh, at the White House for a little bit. I, I'm not even remembering the guy's name. Show the research I did, but here's an article. Here's a little line from the Wall Street Journal about it. The number of pages would range in the millions, an unprecedented document dump that would take well into next year to review. So essentially, they're stalling the process. He wants to get all these pages that have absolutely nothing to do with determining whether or not uh, how this guy is going to basically judge on cases. And also, that whole thing, it's it's fucking theater. It's that you want the guy who, in advance, is going to vote liberal, and they want the guy who's going to vote conservative, which just shows you the entire thing is politicized, and it, it's, it, it's a shit charade. It has nothing to do with law, in my opinion. Um, but 
anyways, so it's an unprecedented document dump that is going to take well into next review. It's millions of pages. And it's funny to me that a part of the government process is basically going, before we can make any decisions, we're going to have to slaughter a few trees. Like, wait, you want me to make a decision on this? Have you um, slaughtered and sacrificed some trees yet? Because if not, we can't really review it. All right. Next is, uh, I found this one in the, uh, um, was it the New York Post? I don't know. I guess I'll have to look it up. might have been Wall Street Journal. I don't really read all that many papers. It's probably one of the two. But article was uh, lines drawn in fight over commuters. I know Yosef likes to have the article number. I don't have that in front of me. But let me tell you. I basically at night I'm riding my bike or sometimes when I've overridden my bike or I've crashed it and my knees hurt and I can't ride it or had to go to Connecticut and then I had to leave it there because somebody had a funeral that I had to go to. All right. Sometimes these things happen. But anyways, I will take the subway. But I don't take the subway late at night anymore. They've shut down everything. Like, they shut down the R by me. The end. Like, it is nearly impossible to get home. It's hard to tell when these trains are coming. It's hard to tell. Like, dude, here was an incident I had the other day. I was on an N, an N train. I know some of you guys have no idea. This is like Chinese talk. But anyways, I got on the N train at 14th Street. There are 10 stops between 14th Street and um, 50, 59th Street, right? 59th Street is then the stop where it turns and it goes into Queens. Now, before 59th Street, there are like nine other trains that I could switch to in order to get to Queens. But instead of telling me, hey, this train does not go into Queens, they went all the way to the last stop to be like, hey, this is the last stop in this train. That's the kind of shit they pull. Then basically you got to take a subway back downtown to then convert to another train that you don't even know if that train's going to be there. You don't know how long it's going to take. You don't know how slow it's going to run. And that's why these people are, they're, they're fucking assholes. Like they just, they, they don't give you simple information so you can just make decisions. That's where the real anxiety is. Like sometimes you're out, it's one in the morning, you've got work again at like, you got to be up at eight to handle shit. And the subway subway is cheaper, but you have no idea how much time it's going to take you to get home. You just don't know. Like, even if you knew, hey, that's going to be 45 minutes, you go, I can wrap my head around that, but it might turn into two hours. You have no fucking clue, and they don't give you that fucking information. So now, you've got Uber, um, you got Uber, which is pretty reasonable. I gotta be honest, it rocks the shit out of cabs. The fact that just up front, you can see that price and then pass out on those things and not worry about not ending up at home. That's a game changer, everybody. Oh, and by the way, I want to tell you something, because uh, like w- when you're in a cab and you, you got to pay like right then and there, you feel like a dick if you're not pr- tipping. Like that's just a situation you feel like you got to tip. But on the Uber, it's kind of easy to feel like, all right, I'm already out of that thing. It's through the app. I think that algorithm, and not because I was being cheap and testing the waters here, I think they start reducing your rating if you don't tip. I think like it's built into that algorithm. Like they pretend like the, you know, like the, the the guy doesn't know or whatever, and then they were blah 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 blah. I'm telling you, if you don't tip on Uber, you're gonna start seeing that rating climb down. It's built into their. I know what these tech companies are up to, but anyways, so. Not only do you have Uber, which is solid, but now they got the Uber rideshare, which um, firstly, it gives you an opportunity to maybe meet a drug, drunk lady coming out of the... That has yet to happen to me, and that's a creepy reason to try and take uh, Uber rideshare late at night around bars when they're closing. Uh, but <laughs> it basically, it's a, it, it's pretty good technology. It matches you up with another person who's got to go in the direction that you're going in. That way, you can split the fare. So if you're, for instance, in my area, let's say within three miles of my house, let's just say the subway is going to be 225. 
this thing's probably going to cost you $5. And even if you got to go make the stop somewhere else, or even if it takes a while, the fact that you can look on your phone and see the amount of time that it's going to take you to get home and make that decision, or even decide, hey, I'll spend the extra $8 on uh, uh, instead, like I'll spend $10 instead of the $250, the subway, to know that I'm getting home in a reasonable hour, and I'm going to have a decent day of work tomorrow. That's all very, very helpful. The MTA is seriously fucking up in terms of its offerings for, okay, I think I've ranted enough about how shitty the MTA is and how angry I am with the services that they offer. Because by the way, they've really fucked with my life. But anyways, um, so here, this was coming from the good folks of New York City. Here we go. So ride hailing companies warn that a one-year freeze on new licenses expected to pass the New York City Council Wednesday will hit outer borough riders hardest. Uber and Lyft say their drivers will abandon those areas from more lucrative parts of Manhattan, resulting in longer wait times and higher fares for everyone. So in other words, I guess similar to the way the tokens worked or something, they're trying to limit the amount of new Uber drivers that can come along. Like they don't want a market equilibrium here of people keep going, hey, this is a lucrative job. I'm going to become an Uber driver. I already have a car. I'm going to drive people around. And they want less options for, you know, folks like me who just want to get a ride home, you know? So, okay. So more New Yorkers are using ride hailing services. Services, in particular, shared trips to commute to work, pick up groceries, or meet up with friends. Because that shared trip, like I said, it's not even that expensive. It's a good technology, and who knows what Uber might develop that into? Maybe they'll get the rates down on that. Like they'll start getting like uh, you know vans, like those uh, you know like cargo type vans that go to the airport, and it'll all be people who are going exactly to your block. They'll have that kind of technology. There'll be so many people using it. It'll be two bucks, and it'll always be a quick ride home. Who knows where they might develop this too? But no, the city's getting in the way, and they're going, hey, we got to manage this. Uh, this unbelievable tech company with their technology that's totally displaced our industries of both the MTA and uh, the cab services that we had with the better technology, we better step in here. We better regulate this. And why? New York City wants to freeze distribution of a new ride-hailing licenses while it studies policies that could limit the amount of time ride-hailing cars spend empty. Apparently, there's a problem out there. There's too many people out there looking for a fare. There are too many people out there driving around just looking to make a couple bucks and take you home when you got to go home. And the city, they got a problem with that. I mean, it's inefficient that these cars are just empty, circling for fares. City officials believe it will reduce congestion and raise driver wages. They're full of shit. And by the way, the reason I wanted to highlight this is because that's what we've been arguing the whole time is that government is there and they're there with this sale. Hey, listen, you give us the resources and we can do a better job handling the situation. They're not coming in here and being honest and going, listen, you've kind of fucked over the MTA. You're taking money out of their pockets. You fucked over these cab drivers and all these people that we created a monopoly for and all these people that own tokens. This is a new thing and we got to get a handle on it because we don't like the fact that just businesses and customers are syncing up and one person's making money while the other person's getting home at a reasonable hour. We can't have that. So what do they step in? They don't say that. They go, hey, we're here to help you. You see, it's a sales pitch. They go, listen, we're noticing that there's a flaw in this market, and we think that if we step in, we can make this more efficient, which isn't true. We know that it's not true. But that's why I just want to showcase that for you, that they, like even government themselves, they understand sales. They're not stepping in and going, hey, listen, this doesn't serve our interests. No, they come up with pure bullshit of, hey, we're listen, we're, we want to help you out on this Uber thing. We see everybody's happy with Uber. So why not let us, um, you know, take a look at it, take a look at the situation and we'll improve on it for you. Get your fucking hands off of this. By the way, you want to know about uh, government incompetence? 
read some of these articles about like the laws that they're passing for that like you have these people that the u.s deported and their kids are still here and they're like you got to go find that dude and like i know you just dropped him off in some random place in mexico but you, you got to go find that guy i mean we, we still have his kid and like, you understand the incompetence of that that they separated and that they've just lost track of people all right now, next thing, we're changing gears a little bit. I've talked about my fear of uh, data collection and what some of these apps on our phone and these companies are learning about us. Specifically, being a compulsive person, I get nervous uh, about the ability of people to market products to me, know my habits. Maybe I'm just not that important and who gives a shit if these people know something about me. But to me, it kind of creeps me out and I don't know what the power of big data is. I know that it's. I know that there's value there. I know that governments want it. I know that big companies want it. I know that people de- developing artificial intelligence want it and i'm not sure exactly to what extent you can sway you know public opinion or manipulate minds with this information i don't know i just don't like or love that it's being accumulated but who knows maybe that's just uh you, you can't go to fight with the world that's the trend people are doing things but anyways movie pass if you're not familiar with movie pass i personally don't have it because being able just to go to a movie anytime well and actually now right now i don't have time for it i wouldn't go do it but i you know like i, I feel like some things you're not supposed to have access to because you're going to waste too much time on. It's like the the same reason I actually don't have a video game console in my house. It's like there's some things you just don't want to get started on. Like it's almost good that movies are are like, you know, 10 to 15 bucks. You only go every once in a while. But that that might be my crazy, you know, religious discipline brain. Um, Some people love it. All right. So anyways, movie pass, you get this thing, movie pass. I, I think at the moment it's 10 bucks a month and then you can just go to unlimited movies. It's like one a day you can go to a movie. So if you're going to in New York City, even just one movie a month, it's cheaper than your movie ticket. Now, on the backside, MoviePass has to actually pay these theaters the full price of the ticket. So if you ask me, this guy's trying to run some stock scam where um, he shows incredible growth in amount in the amount of users, and he goes growth, 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 gets investors, and then eventually goes belly up because they're losing money. Um, but that's the game that they're playing. And so people were giving this guy shit about the money he was losing, and he had that moment where he goes... Basically, he he gets frustrated and he tries to explain like the business model and just the most evil thing comes out like that. He says that evil thing that's so evil where people start backing out of the room and he's got to be no no I didn't mean that guys guys no 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 I'm 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 here I'm your friend so here's what he said I mean this is just crazy because so this was from a USA Today article uh, it was called subscription service save. Uh, So here it was. Because you are being tracked in your GPS by the phone, we watch how you drive home from we we watch how you drive home from home to the movies. Low said in the forum. We watch where you go afterwards. And so we know the movies you watch. We know all about you. We don't sell that data. What we do is we use the data to market film. Uh, But the point is, he just told you, like, we're in your phone, we're watching your habits, we're seeing what you people are up to, and I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me feel better about this service. And I also bet the other tech companies were standing around, like the CEOs were like, dude, you gotta get a grip on it. Like, you're gonna ruin this for all of us. You know, get your shit together. All right. Uh, and then on that note, Facebook is uh, actually going to be rolling out a feature like a, a dating app, kind of like a Tinder, but built into Facebook. And I think the reason they're doing that is they're getting so much bad press that like, you know, they're basically hoping they're going to be like, all right, listen, forget all that other stuff. I, I got you laid last week, right, bro? Come on. Come on. You know, that 18 year old, you slide, that was me. I hooked you up with that. You can't be upset with me. If there's any reason to me why we should be pro- protesting Facebook is they got rid of the one feature that I liked, which was if you met a lady and you got her number, you could put her number 
And sometimes if you're at a bar, you only get someone's first name. You don't get their information. But it used to be, if you got a number, you could put someone's number into the little search feature in Facebook, and then you could go to her page. You could jerk off to her photos and never talk to her again. You could live an entire relationship in your brain and then never have to deal with calling that person. And that, would, to me, was the best feature of Facebook. It wasn't just good for that. By the way, it was like basically, it, it was an unknown hack within Facebook because for a while they were asking you for your phone numbers. And if you put in your phone number, you could search by phone number. It also made for a great caller ID tool. Like if you're as disorganized as I am and you get random call for clients, you have no idea who the fuck they are. You could put that number into Facebook and find out. That was pretty awesome. All right. Now a little bit of Russia talk and then we're going to get into my summer porch tour with the guys from Capital Wrestling. But I was reading this article in CNBC that Russia tasks Hollywood actor Seagal with improving US ties. And you got this picture of big fat Steven Seagal with that quasi-Asian look thing that he's doing. And the point is, if Putin's really partnering up with Steven Seagal, are we afraid of these people? Like, if that is really on your, like, like, you're sitting down, you're kind of figuring out policy for how you can improve your situation. If any, if in any way Steven Seagal comes up as a legitimate option, I'm pretty sure these people aren't much of a threat. And then on that note, I was reading this article in the Wall Street Journal, sanctions hit rubble, Russian stocks. So the Trump administration offers few details on new U.S. actions sparkling, sparking uncertainty. Newly announced U.S. sanctions US sanctions, and the potential for a second round of actions in nine days roiled Russia's currency and blue chip stocks as the country braced for further economic pain amid uncertainties over the Trump administration's commitment to enforcement. And that's crazy. Can you imagine if another country was able to place sanctions on us that just fucked up our economy? I don't know. This doesn't seem like the path to being cooperative and not having, you know, a problem with Russia. This doesn't seem like the way that you build ties, forge bonds and work together and make the world a better place. But what the fuck do I know? All right. Let's get into the next episode of the Summer Porch Store, hanging out with the guys from Capital Wrestling. There's some real characters. Um, Ash is kind of like a real life Charlie Day. Uh his buddy, who uh, is also, he's got some real charisma. He's clearly worked both the booth and the wrestling rings. He said he's done, like, uh, the managing wrestling things behind the scenes. He does a lot of the production and the writing. They're a fun, interesting bunch. I think I'm going to be doing uh, some more work with him down the line. So give a listen and uh, hit me up, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. Specifically, next week, I'm not sure uh, that I've got a porch lined up. We might just be calling a quits on this this year's summer porch stores but then the following week i'm out of rhode island family vacation Ugh. but the point is it's ugh because i i, I got gigs the next week and i really dude i'm so behind on stand-up i gotta sharpen up my stand-up so much it's just gonna be anxiety inducing being out there knowing that i'm not getting better and that i have some important gigs or important to me coming up because they're actual gigs it's not just open mics and being in the city uh but you know that's all my personal shit i didn't have to unload that on you you don't have to now walk around like i i shouldn't have said that i'm sorry we're hanging out (laughs) so anyways if you're out in rhode island i will probably do a solo episode i'll take my mic and i don't know if this is the saddest or the coolest thing i'll take my microphone i'll take my 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 notes and my zoom h recorder i'll sit out with uh in a nice spot on a beach somewhere with some beer and i'll broadcast for you people uh it'll be the the ultimate porch of of the waterfront i don't know where i'm going with that but the point is if you're a listener you live out in rhode island let's do it let's uh let's broadcast on your porch uh and then we're gonna do one final blowout episode somewhere on a porch in new york city and then you know it'll be back to business as usual all right anyways here it goes this is uh me hanging out with the guys from uh capital wrestling
podcast, and it is the Summer Porch Tour, and I think we're at the nicest venue that we've traveled to yet. (laughs) Now, for those who aren't familiar with the Summer Porch Tour, I live in Manhattan. I'm kind of an outdoorsy guy. I don't love Manhattan. And one summer evening, I was on my co-host's porch, and I was like, this is really nice. Why don't we put it out there? If listeners have porches, they can invite us over. We can enjoy the nice outdoors. And basically just podcast from people's porches. I think this would be a fun thing. So a listener hit me up and he said, I am one of the, um, let's say, co-owners or whatever of Capital Wrestling. And my CEO has this beautiful porch out in Jersey City. Why don't you come out here for an episode? Of course I am. And so first, I'd like to just introduce Ash um, Ash and uh, Matt. They are the owners of Capital Wrestling. They're on the front page of Twitch. It's a very... Um, very lucrative business that they've managed to put together. And now I'm not even upset with Ash for two reasons. Firstly, I'm a sales guy, so I kind of like when people completely bullshit to me. It doesn't upset me. <laughs> I don't sell that way, but when I when I get sold, I'm like, okay, I see what you did there. And here's the other thing. Ash is a weird person. I'm not sure if you understand what a porch is. <laughs> no, no, dude. I grew up in the sticks. Like, I get a porch, I get a deck. Like, I certainly get it, but right now concept. I'm in like in a second-rate alleyway. Like, this isn't even a first-rate alleyway. <laughs> I learned Machiavellian uh, principles very early on in life through pro, pro wrestling. So it was just like, oh yeah, Matt has a porch. Hey Robbie, you should do it on the porch that my the co that the co-owner of the company has. Which I'm okay, Marcus Dowling, the other co-owner of the company. Yes. I'm just a producer and general talking head. Oh things, okay. Who's gonna who uh you know be buying in eventually? But right now sells vacuums. Yeah, Ash, Ash is, weirdly enough, one of the people we put out into the world to promote the product, well, which we really kind of should reconsider. Look, I'm still, I'm not on Twitter, so you don't have to worry about that. Well, apparently, if he has it in him to message somebody online and pretend that this is a porch, <laughs> there's nothing he won't say to people. So I think you've got the right guy for promoting whatever your wrestling thing is. I don't even know if it is a wrestling thing. With the way he describes things, who knows what operation you're it, really running. It actually is based around wrestling figures. Okay. And we just play with toys. We put it up on Twitch. There you go. That's not the. That's not a lie. All right, so actually, I guess you tell the fans what you guys haven't run. It's Capital Wrestling. It's a big platform for... Go for it. Capital Wrestling is a weekly episodic wrestling show, kind of like the WWE Innocence. We have a lot of big, broad characters from all across the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic. We shoot live events in Jersey City and Hoboken every six weeks. We basically throw one kick-ass party, invite a whole bunch of people, come out, uh, have a good time, have something to eat, watch people get beat. And it's a really cool way to spend a Saturday night. If you loved wrestling growing up, if you loved ECW, WCW, the broad characters of the WWE and the WWF were kind of that alternative to give you that mix of modern pro wrestling with a lot of guys doing a lot of cool shit and also over-the-top characters and experiences you really can't get anywhere else right now outside of Capital Wrestling. All right, and what's great about that plug is I don't think any of my fans are into it, but <laughs> I think you nailed the plug. Well, we I think we'll like tune some people shit. in. I think some people are going to tune in. And we had Chris Crespo take a pile driver. And for those of you for listening, the, Chris Crespo doesn't have arms. Yes. Which yes. so if you're gonna pile drive anyone, it might as well be someone who has no like limbs that can break the fall or get in the way. Of course, and then we faith healed him. The next what's a show, faith healed? Benny Hinn healed. He we yes, Chris Crespo's neck got healed by a faith healing cult leader who is on our show. 
we also have a femivist, which is a feminist activist. Okay. Who is basically Lena Dunham if she were a wrestling manager. All right. So if you need someone to hate and you can't find Lena Dunham, you can find Portia Vaughn and her blog, Penises or Microaggressions, on Capital Wrestling. All right. I like it. And uh, if none of that works for you, you can always come out here and hang out in a pretty dope-ass alleyway. <laughs> yes. Okay. The alleyways of Comedy Tour. Yes. The amount of times I've had to cut promos in that exact spot where you're standing just to promote events, like literally right here. Well, actually, from a, from a film thing facing into the street, yeah. you got cool lighting. It looks like kind of... I, it can look cool. I could see why that looks yeah. cool. Facing this way, though, it just looks like there's a horde of roaches. Well, I wouldn't... Your wouldn't. neighbor's trash, some peed on mattress. Yeah, there's some tile that is inexplicably, inexplicably NYU education. It's asbestos that they've pulled out yeah. from another building. Pretty much, yeah. And the laundry room that's been in construction for about three months now. So that's fun. All right. Well, all the slumlord tropes. Mm. Is what? It's just asbestos that's asbestos, been removed? Removed asbestos, pissed on mattresses, just hanging out in the back. Yeah. Like, the things to let you know before you move in. It's uh, a great that, place, yes. That, like, <laughs> that this is absolutely where you should be signing a lease with, 100%. Yes. Love it. Okay, so one of the things that uh, Ash is an expert at is not just lying about porches and salesmanship in general, but don't you don't get defensive about this. No, just no, no. That was, that was literally a compliment. Standing it was a compliment. Between <laughs> Dude, it was a compliment. Like, no, like, I... I I know what I did, and I, I, and I know you appreciate it, and it's a compliment. The salesman is salesman thing. Yeah, I don't know what kind of sales training they give the Oric people, <laughs> but I guess to sell a vacuum. Oh, this was pre-Oric, yeah. I learned this. This okay. was pro-wrestling charlatanism. It's like, if I have a quarter in my hand, I'm going to tell you I have a silver coin. There you go. Yes. Well, that's the wrestling in you, and that brings up the first topic, which was you were saying you have the inside scoop on Donald Trump, politics in America, and how he got elected, and in your opinion, you think it's all pro wrestling and the salesmanship that comes along with pro wrestling it absolutely is it's populism combined combined with pro wrestling he grabbed the lowest hanging fruit he was loud as hell about it he found the disenfranchised base and gassed them up and just got under their skin and like this is you know they're taking our country away from us make america great again we're gonna build a wall super quick talking point fucking catchphrases donald trump is a wwe hall of famer the first four WrestleManias were ran at Trump properties. Fourth and fifth. Fourth and fifth, I'm sorry. And then SummerSlam also was at a Trump property, um, the first couple. Donald Trump, Vince McMahon, very close friends. Linda McMahon is actually the head of the Small Business Authority and is on the cabinet for Donald Trump. She lost, though, running in uh, Connecticut. She was trying oh, to become a senator. Well, certain things are... Um, okay, so when you have as much money as, w as Vince McMahon and you do enough... Um, we'll call it backroom deals that have nothing to do with wrestling and you're right. making certain money coming in from that. You have to tank things. You have to lose a bunch of money on shit. Vince had the World Bodybuilding Federation. He lost his shirt on. The XFL, the first time around, he lost right. his shirt on. Linda's Senate campaign, he lost his shirt on because that way he could turn around and go, hey, look, I screw stuff up too. I'm just a wrestling guy. But in reality, it's this kind of... This You're saying he purposely ran his wife and lost the campaign yes. to make himself look more human? A hundred percent. And also to write to look to more write human off the losses. And to write off losses. A hundred percent. I understand writing off losses, but I understand I think that their whole thing is having a winner vibe and the losses don't like they're not into looking human. They're into looking like, hey, I can turn anything into gold. It yes, but by the same token, um, 
you get hated very quickly that way. And when your on-screen character is this evil, like, multi-billionaire, and then you portray that in real life, like, people, you, people, you got to pull back for public right. image sometimes. Hey, I got a crazy wrestling question for you. Their top superstars, are they, like, salaried at hundred grand a year, or do some of them actually make money? Like Kane. Kane, who lives out in Tennessee, he's been on WWE probably 20 years or whatever. Is that guy, like, a wealthy guy? Oh, or? hell yeah. Hell yeah. They get part of their merch. Um, he gets way more than a hundred grand a year. No, that's what I'm asking. I have no yeah. idea what compensation oh, yeah. is for like the WWE. The longer you're there, like Cena cleared what, like ten million or something? Uh, yeah, it's a variable. Like you'll get the lower card guys will get a fixed rate, and then depending upon how popular you are, you'll get a merch cut. You get pay per view checks. Like it's all it's like it's sales. So, it's incentive right. based. Yeah. So. so in other words, if you become one of their superstars, they're making money. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And an interesting thing about the Trump thing. Uh, you look at this mag- this larger-than-life personality that Trump was and his ability to speak in soundbites, speak plainly, which is a big thing in professional wrestling, speaking plainly to the camera, speaking directly to the people, using language they can understand. He was running against, essentially, a bunch of robots in the Republican primary. You right. had you know, Ted Cruz and Jeb Bush, all of these people that really fit the Republican values of 2016, but really didn't fit that angry, loud base. And they were also former governors, current senators, congressmen. These are people that are out of reach, out of touch. They're not aspirational. Donald Trump is a a rich kid from Queens who has been rich most of his life and found a way to come back, fight back, create enough gaga and bullshit right. wrestling term and cultivate this image of a come of the comeback like Lee was saying Donald Trump failed the Atlantic City folded he went into bankruptcy he's basically turned he turned himself into a comedy act in the mid to late 90s and then was able to find relevance again on NBC and become this reality star and use that as an entire vehicle because in the late 90s he was talking about running for president Right, And he was able to kind of build that narrative, create enough cachet culturally, and talk to the people in the flyover states who will vote for a loud, angry, white old man because they're a bunch of loud, angry, old white people. Right. You know, it's in, I, I read uh, Gust of LeBond's The Crowd. I recommend it. Any kids listen, uh, listening at home, uh, really interesting book. And one of, firstly, his take on school in general was really touched my heart was super interesting and has changed some of my thought processes which maybe we can get into a, into a minute but one of his things is basically crowds when you get a big crowd together they're not rational and talking and things like imagery like works really well and so it's interesting that like what you guys are saying it's basically a wrestling skill to talk in sound bites where you're not really giving any information um, and so I'd love to hear more about what that sales tactic is because apparently it worked on the largest platform for the best job and most important job in the world you okay so basically you learn to get your point across in 30 seconds to a minute yeah condense all your information if you it's very old political tactics in the sense of like hitler stalin mussolini yeah um, if you tell the old school shit the the real old school (laughs) shit yeah man if you tell a big enough lie enough times everyone buys into it it's as much pt barnum as it is those people right it's that same be loud about it be in your face about it someone asks you a question you give them just enough information to make them want to hear more Make them want to come in the doors. Make them want to see what you got. Not ever really showing your cards. And you just... People like that because they don't have to really think. It's just, no, he said this and this is what it is. And that's... We we live in a time where the whole... That's that person's truth. 
is said as a way to get around when someone's blatantly fucking lying and misinformed. Right. Like, no, no, that's like flat earthers and things. Like, that's well, their that's truth. that's their truth. And it's like, that's such a bullshit cop-out, but right. that's the time in which we live. That's uh, interesting, because I actually kind of buy into, in my head, to, to a point, I buy into the thought that maybe there is no objective reality and that, like, you know, whatever whatever you buy into, like, if you believe in God, God is real. It's a true concept for you. If you don't believe in God, it's just not part of your existence. Like, you can really kind of frame your own reality because who's to say what objective truth is? And as a guy who takes a lot of meds for mental illness... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, look, we, we can talk all about that. No, too, no we don't have to. Um, we we no, already no. see what you think is a porch, so... Yeah, look, is it, look, there's steps, man, you know? Yeah. It's the idea of thinking versus feeling. It's the idea of objective thought and the idea of unobjective feeling. If I believe something, it's because either rational thought or feeling. And a lot of people decided to feel in the 2016 election on both sides of the ballgame. I didn't like anybody who ended up as the final two or four or however you wanted to slice it who were running in the general. Right. But a lot of people felt like it was Hillary Clinton's time to be president. A lot of the conversations I had, especially with people who were working for the Clinton campaign, I had friends who worked on the Clinton campaign, and it was about feeling. It was about her being a woman. It was about all of these other things in the same same thing with Trump people. They felt like he was a success. They felt because he was rich, he could do all of these things. But when you watched the debates, when you looked at both sides, Clinton had a little bit more of explaining what she was doing, but that's not enough to people who want to feel like their anger is justified. Well, it's also Hillary Clinton's way worse at lying than Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton came off as the least trustworthy person alive and the least likable person alive in that whole thing. Um, and growing up in this area and seeing like her Senate run, where she was just the epitome of talking out of both sides of your mouth. Like, but by the same token, growing up in the area and seeing Donald Trump fail businesses and lie through his teeth through his entire life, like you knew what he, you knew what he was giving the rest of the country. And then you were watching what people are buying into, and you're going like. Wait, wait, what the fuck? Why are you falling for this? Right. Like, wait, why is this? And then you realize, oh, shit, you're all uninformed. You're happily uninformed. And that's like a scary thing. It's here's some spoiler alerts. Some to most wrestling fans, lowest common denominator. Some to most Americans, lowest common denominator. So something like this, it's like, oh, you deserve this. Like, this is getting Donald Trump as the president, like getting a reality show president, regardless of what you think of his politics, getting someone who behaves in that way as president, we absolutely deserve as a country. It's All right. Cool. I, I think uh, Donald Trump winning versus yeah, Hillary Clinton. I don't even think that was like the question you asked, but no, no, we're on board. I feel like we've gotten some good inside scoop about the salesmanship of Trump and how it ties into the world of pro wrestling. Now, I, I do want to discuss pro wrestling a little bit. My, this was, I followed pro wrestling when I was, uh, I think we're around the same age. I'm 30. 29. 29. You 33. look 40, though. Um, Ash is what? 30. 33, same general concept. Yeah. So I followed wrestling 7th and 8th grade when SmackDown existed. Mm -hmm. uh, those were my years. The Rock was big. Even though he wasn't my favorite guy, The Rock was big. Um, I liked the, the, the Scotty Too Hottie and whoever that other guy was in Rashiki who put his ass in people's faces. Oh, Brian Christopher just killed himself. Dude. Oh, really? Well, so Grandmaster Sexay just hung himself in jail. 
yeah. how did he end up in jail? Oh, DUI, and then his dad like let him sit. Jerry Lawler's his father. What? Yeah, dude. And uh, he was like, no, like the the warden convinced him, like, no, keep him here. It'll straighten him out. This is the safest he can be. Is here. We'll get yeah, him to a rehab. Because he was a real drug addict. Because he was. A, oh yeah, it was like his third. How long did he exist in the? I guess in the league for before. Uh, he was in wrestling from like '89 up until when he passed away. But he was in the WWE from like '97 to '02. No, um, I'd actually put it like '90, probably '96 to I think they were there to like '05. They they ran their course I also, and stayed around. I love the uh, the guys who are always drinking beers, like the protection oh, the dudes. APA. I love those well, guys. Bradshaw became a financial analyst for Fox for a while, dude. Really? Yeah, man. He's Why like, he made money investing on the side? Fucking tons. His wife is Meredith Whitney. You got to talk into a mic. Or His <laughs> wife is Meredith Whitney. I don't even know that She's is. one of the most powerful venture bankers. She's like one of the, she's got a giant firm in the city. I love those dudes that have a half a foot in show business and just make so much money doing something else. It's, That's it's so, so cool. It's so weird because so many people in wrestling end up with these second or third careers after wrestling. You look at Glenn Jacobs, who's now the mayor of Knox County. And before that, right. was a leading voice in terms of as a talking head in libertarianism. He was someone for for like the past five, ten years, people were expecting for him to be in politics, to be in campaigning, and it kind of paid off for him. He ran in his hometown, and he won. Which is pretty cool. By the way, that sale is such a classic sale of, because uh, I listened to one of his ads, but the, I could have lived anywhere in the country, but I picked here to live because I love here. That, that was good salesmanship. The I, I have to do that on every sales call. Like, I'm talking to your company for this reason. I specifically want to talk to you. It's the same thing I, I like. I mean, we've gotten into this enough, but women like that shit, too. Oh, yeah. With the, like, no, baby, it's just you. It's not just sex. It's you. It's you. Oh, yeah. Dude, it's pro. It's all pro wrestling. It's so. How is that pro wrestling? Okay, so pro wrestling as a whole. Yeah. Other spoilers. It's fake. Um, <laughs> what? What? Yeah, I, I That's know. it. I know. I'm so, leaving you right now. We're trying to convince it's the suspension of disbelief, right? That you can buy in enough. Like, is this really fake? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, it got real there, or like that's that's the whole thing. I can that say grabs when, people. when I was a kid. And I was following wrestling, and I followed it. Sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I followed it. Then I was going to high school, and I made a decision. On my, it's not that I didn't like it. I just decided, this isn't cool. I'm not going to watch it anymore. Like, I just decided, I'm going to high school. I'm not going to be the guy who's into wrestling. It, was that, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It was that I just decided, okay, that's kid's shit. You can't enjoy that in high school. But when I was watching it as a kid, I remember watching it, and you'd be like, okay, like, intellectually, you knew it was fake, but, like, you believed in your heart that it wasn't. You know what I mean? Like... Like, if you asked, if you put me to a lie detect, you know what I mean? It's like, I knew that it was fake. Like, everyone knew it was fake, but you still just watching it, you bought into it was real. And that's the thing. And it's once the curtain was pulled back, because until like 99, no one admitted it was fake. They admitted it was a business, but never right. that it was fake and it was fixed. Vince admitted in 99 it was fixed to get, a, get around a lot of the taxes in New Jersey. It was 89. Wait, how did how did admitting it was eighty nine SummerSlam eighty nine that he got? All right, we don't have to nerd out on the year. No, no. It's okay. Eighty eight, eighty nine. No, no, but it was the ninety nine. It was the late nineties where he had to. It was after the Jersey All Pro Show with the head cutting oh. that he to get around commissions and things. He had to say it's sports entertainment. It's not sports, and that's when the curtain fully got pulled back of like that it was pre written. So you have the old mentality, which is based on. People really buying in like this shit was real. Right. So you didn't have to do as much to now where like UFC is a thing. Everyone knows what somebody getting punched in the fucking head really, really looks like. like. Yeah. So you have to up the realism. You have to up 
the physical aspect of it. You can't do as much standing around, not doing anything. Um, right. So Okay, so let me ask you this. I remember, and this is one of those things that was great about pre-internet days, was I wasn't allowed to watch TV in my house. That was a rule. But lucky for me, my mom was never home, and so I was a shitty kid. I looked at all the porn that was on the internet of then. Of course. Free trials. You had to wait 10 minutes for things to load up. I wasn't even jerking off, but I was just... You just wanted to see it. It's intellectual I was, curiosity. I was looking at titties like that was my homework. Like, I was going to cure cancer if I looked at all the titties that were on the internet. Fantastic. And then, the, I think the only TV show I really watched was WWF SmackDown. It was on, Chan- it was on UPN 9. It was the only thing they produced for white people, and I was white, so I was going to turn that thing on. And every night, my mom would like pull up into the driveway, like just at the end of it, and I had to like turn it off and pretend like I was doing homework or whatever else. And I remember both on that and the pay per views, like actually looking forward to going into school the next morning to find out what happened. Oh, dude, it's even now, like there's people who won't, even all the results are online, people who won't read it because they want to be surprised. Right. It's oh, before the, like even the first version of it comes out. Now it's leaked online. Basically, oh, well, it's any, all spoiled. Anything that they do take live. For. Everything they do live. Right. It'll you know the results will happen as it airs. But if it's taped, it's finished. Yeah. If it's taped, like NXT uh, WWE tapes four weeks in advance. As everything's being filmed, the results are already going out. Right. A uh, couple companies, uh, Lucha Underground, tried to stop that from happening with like literally taking people's phones and things like that but shit a lot still of comics leaked. do that yeah yeah and so that's the but they're also with el rey television they have a bigger they can do that they have the influence to be able to do that Mo, and most times it fucking it honestly doesn't matter right because people want to see how they got there the matches have become half and the the promos and the backstage interaction and the banter the other half that's so, the part that people tune in for exactly all right so now like, I remember when I was in high school, Kid had a concept, and they finally did this. I think 28 Days Later would be a movie that I've seen it in and others, um, but for fast zombies. Like, if you remember the old school zombie movies, I'm a, I'm a sucker for zombie stuff. I used to, I, I finally quit out on The Walking Dead because it just got that bad. But, like, I, I, I would. two seasons in. Yeah, exactly. Whatever that. But for a while, I would tell you, yeah, it's a dumb soap opera with zombies in it, but I love it. This is my, like, soap opera. And I even like, like, a bunch of those um, Resident Evil movies. Those are all trash movies, but I'm, I'm, like, a sucker for that genre. But a friend of mine, and they shifted it, he was saying, like, if you remember the old school zombies, like, they really move slowly, and the whole thing was, like, just how overwhelmed you would be by them. And he was like, hey, let's have fast zombies, which they did, like, 28 Days Later. You can make the argument it's an infection movie, but you guys say, understand what I'm saying yeah, here. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so I guess a gripe that I would have now, like if I tune in casually for a wrestling match, and now, granted, I have not bought into the storyline, I'm not watching the backstory. If I'm just like searching past something, wrestling match comes in, and I'm going to tune in for a couple minutes and be like, hey, I wonder why I like this so much as a kid kind of thing. One of my gripes is the, I guess, degree of slowness of, like, when a guy's, like, phased. You know what I mean? Like, I get, like, when a guy's, like, down for the count and you're, like, I'm going to climb up the ring and I'm going to jump on him. I'm going to do this. What I don't like so much is, like, when you punch a guy once and you have that moment where he's kind of phased and then, like, you're walking him halfway across the ring. Okay, well... Well, Firstly, what would you describe that? What is is that that I'm describing from, like, a stage? That should never happen in the beginning of a match. That should always happen in the middle or towards the end because these are two guys who have been going out there and busting busting their asses, right. beating on each other, chopping each other in the chest. Every time you land, every time you take a bump, it's the equivalent of getting hit by a car at 15 miles an hour. 
Okay. So every time it you adds land, up. Yeah, it adds up. So you're winded at the end. You're you're tired. But so sometimes I feel like fighting for that last little bit, right? To tell the story. Now there's a little too much milking. Here's the the thing is is that. But you you understand what I'm describing? That like slower, is, like when it, when it kind of takes a slower beat. You, you, you get what I'm describing here. Yeah, but it's also registering to the audience. So right. you're, you're selling the camera, which is 95 different locations, and then you're selling to the audience. You're trying to register. It's like theater. You're registering to the whole house, so you have to take that time. You have to register. So you're saying cell. live. I'm watching on TV, and wrestling is more of a live thing. It, it depends on like what... Like hockey's a live yeah. sport. You yeah. know what I mean? Like hockey's just not good on TV. There are plenty of sports that are better live. Wrestling, it's... It's okay. Let me put it this way: If you were to compare the pacing of like an action scene in a movie to the pacing of a wrestling fight, it's just sometimes. And I get like they're playing "Hey, the winded thing," but you understand what I'm saying? That sometimes like the amount of time or the clearness that a guy's just walking across the ring so he can be slapped into the next thing. Oh yeah, well that's that's the suspension of disbelief part. There's so much wrestling that yeah, it's you really got to buy in. If you're looking if you're looking at it from a perspective of like someone who doesn't buy in. And then none of it's good. Exactly. The fucking, the whip off the ropes is the most ridiculous thing in the world if you don't buy in. Right. It's literally, it makes no sense and would never happen in a fight. It's complete nonsense if you don't buy in. Right. If you buy in, you can literally do whatever the fuck you want because the people have already made the decision going in that they're switching off that part of their brain right. that goes, what the fuck, that would never happen in real life. Well, I guess, I mean, you watch a movie, there's a suspension of disbelief. I don't watch Iron Man and go, hey, you can never fly around in a suit like that. You're defying the laws of physics. Well, like, if you watch things, it all depends the eye. Like, okay, Silence of the Lambs is a great comedy if you watch it that way. Well, if you're you. <laughs> no, dude. Buffalo Bill is some of the funniest fucking dialogue ever written by anyone. I okay. used to pull it on sales calls. When I get bored, right. I call hotels and be like, hi, I'm looking for your general manager. Um, sorry, what's your name? Um, Bill, I was there a couple days ago. Uh, she's a, she a great big fat person. And they'd be like, oh. Hey, this was fun. I'm going to. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Um, the third Die Hard yeah. with Justin Long. As, like, I, don't even think I, saw, I don't think I saw that one. If you watch it as a superhero movie. It's terrible. No, it's great because there's nothing that's like no fucking way that would happen in real life. Like right. he's supposed to be some cop and he's dodging a car flying through the air with perfect accuracy. Fuck that. But if you take it as, oh, he's a superhero with heightened senses, it's a perfectly good movie. Pro wrestling's kind of the same thing where if you, if you try to nitpick it, of course you're going to pick fucking giant holes apart in it it's like anything else but if you take it for what it is if you appreciate the art of pro wrestling for what it is you can definitely see good versus bad you can definitely see uh you know different takes on society different looks it dub, old up until like two shit now wwe wwf whatever you call it is one of the biggest social engineering experiments of all time why would you say that what do you oh, mean by okay that? um so razor ramon was oh, wait, Scarface. If you want to pipe in at all, you can grab my I'm mic. Not, okay. I'm just letting them roll. All right, Razor cool, cool. Ramon was Scarface. You mean the like real deals? The, the character Razor Ramon. Yeah. Scott Hall was a guy from fucking Florida who pitched it to Vince, and Vince had never seen Scarface and loved it, so he started doing a Miami Coke dealer gimmick. Oh, in WWF, yes. even though they had already made the movie, and so it was hack. This was like just 10 years completely later. hack or promoting Coke to kids. Right, that's a little crazy. Okay, fair enough. Um, the Rock 
smell what the rock is cooking with a with a yeah, silk yeah. shirt and gold chain dressed like a crack dealer from that era do you smell what i'm cooking is a crack term a crack cooking oh. term oh wait so you're saying the rock was a crack gimmick the the gimmick of the rock was yeah. based off of a, cra- a flashy crack dealer yes oh. originally originally and what gives credence to that is because uh, Dwayne Johnson played for the University of Miami back in the old University of Miami days when they were all basically getting paid to headhunt. But to go back to like how you view it through a prism, right. a lot of the internet wrestling community and the thing called wrestling Twitter, it's, it's this interesting divide of people who view it as a TV show and people who view it as a sport. And the people who view it as a TV show, it's all focused on narrative, structure, character flaws basically it's like if everybody who watched game of thrones just decided to watch wrestling that's how much they they analyze it they fuck they talk about the continuity they go through all the little minutiae of it the people who watch it as a sport argue less about that and they focus more on the matches right and they make less noise it just it turns into a screaming match that's a lot that it's basically if you watch everything like a tv show you're just going to be doing a lot of screaming and yelling. Yeah, I really got to... Uh, I've been wanting... Ever since uh, Mickey Rourke's The Wrestler came out, because I didn't thought about wrestling for a long time. They filmed that around here. Oh, like, really? A bunch of my boys were in that movie. Yeah, really? Dude. That's cool, man. Yeah. When I saw that movie, I was like, I got to go check out like a live local wrestling event. Like, there, it, It's such a weird theater and people put so much heart into it and they love it like it, it, it's got to be there's got to be a great energy to it live um which i guess you guys experience because you actually do it you've been there dude i got like my first match i was 14 um i was wrestling for the a third- priest <laughs> a rabbi close okay um i was wrestling for the third biggest company in the u.s by the time i was 18 in front of like 1800 people just destroying my dopamine receptors completely jading me to fucking real life forever um but you mean yeah. just because it was such a high so, to do it nothing else can really it can it, compete it took with that years for me to feel something like that like no i get that and uh, the first time i like i murdered doing stand-up comedy this is a long time ago but the first time i like i really killed i remember like for three days i was just like walking around like in a weird fate like just like having a tough time with reality yeah. like i remember it was a weird thing like for three full days it was like i guess your body just dumps so much adrenaline on that high i remember the first time i really murdered on stage, i literally walking around like kind of depressed and like trying to like adjust back to normal i don't have that anymore because i don't kill on stage no i'm kidding (laughs) um because you just kind of adjust it's not it's like any other high it's not as much of a high but i remember like on some of those early 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 murders and the high of that and like literally for a couple days just being like in like a daze like almost like punch drunk like a weird thing yeah Yeah, i could say the same thing like in this weird hybrid role because i'm a manager so performing in front of a couple thousand people during some of the biggest weekends of the year and you get like 1800 people just booing and raining shit down on you and you know it's that feeling of killing it's that you know you have them right where you fucking want them right and you're leading them because you play the unlikable guy yes so that's the equivalent of the huge laughs is that everyone's going boo fuck you because you've elicited that real guttural reaction and the weird pivot during intermission and when the show is over when everybody's walking to buy your shirt buy your merch buy all your shit and then as yeah. a producer now it's like when one of our guys has an amazing match or when the crowd when you know it just clicked yeah it's just those moments and you get to feel that or you have these moments where it's like 
100,000 people watched our TV this week. Right. Holy shit. It's that high that you... It is like chasing the dragon. It's that whole feeling of like you keep pushing towards something, you keep pushing towards something. It's like, all right, we got it, but we got to get it again, and we got to get it more. Right. Now, not to bum anyone out, but I remember for a while, the thrill of comedy was you'd actually... It was a struggle to get stage time. I'm sure wrestling is the same way. If you're interested, it's a struggle to like get yeah, on a real event. You, wanna, <laughs> you have to get yourself noticed, oh. and you either fall... like. Dude, honestly, when I was 18, I fell into it because I was a lot of people's connect for certain things. Drugs. You sold yeah, drugs. Yeah. And, okay. uh, and I also had a car, and I was willing to travel, so I got booked. And when your friends get into big places, you get into big places type thing. But uh, for a lot of guys, they'll go... 13, 14, 15 years to get that opportunity. Right. It's so much right When really right all time. you need is a car and drugs. Kids, if you want to do seriously, something in though, the fridge of entertainment... Yeah, no, seriously, though, car and drugs are a better starting point than proper training half the time. Yeah. Like, you don't need college. Just a car and drugs and show up at whatever industry you want to work at. Like, even top of Wall Street, if you go to the guy like, listen, I'll drive you around and give you drugs. I just want to, I just want to oh, be no, no, here. No, no, Let's switch the <laughs> disclaimer. It only works in things like pro wrestling, comedy, and anything where you're whoring yourself out for small amounts I of money. To, I used to have to drive around Lewis for stage time. It doesn't, this does not not exist in comedy. <laughs> yeah, dude. And that's, but you do what you have to do to get on and to get in front of the right people. Right. Um, it's something where, like you were saying with the high, like, I told Matt about it. He's going to get it sooner than later. Um, that that high of being like when I was a kid in front of like 1,800 people, I didn't get again till we drew 1,800 people for a show that I actually wrote and put together. And that was a whole different one. That was the first time I actually cried doing this shit, just being moved by the emotion of it all. Yeah, you were going to say? Yeah, it, it is that weird feeling, and you just... You kind of need to step outside yourself. And when you talked about drugs and having a car, it's a larger conversation about having access. And when you go back to politics, if you can kind of open a door for somebody or you create the idea of opportunity, it does more for you than talent does. Because we both know people, and I'm assuming all of us know people, who are either more talented, funnier, had a unique view or a unique idea that they could permeate into whatever business they were in. But if you weren't able to create those inroads, if you weren't able to kind of create your own ball field, which we were all able to do in our various points of life, you're fucked. Because if you can't open that door or you can't find somebody to open the door for you, there's no real road for you. Well, it's also, I grew up in a different era of wrestling. Right. Like... 2007 is when the whole Chris Benoit thing happened when they started cleaning up the business. I got in in 2000. So, like, I was raised around the business where you just hope, like, I, I realized there was only a certain point I was going to make it to without sucking a dick. And I decided that I was perfectly happy not making it. Is that option actually exists oh, in wrestling? Fuck yeah. Like, you can suck on someone's dick oh, and, like. Oh, yeah, dude. Like if you're not good at wrestling, you, you can, can suck enough your dicks way into a job. Even like oh, yeah. you mean because like wrestlers are that gay that they no take the, the blowjob. Some job of the promoters or? are that gay that the promoter. Well, I guess I could see why the a promoters promoter casting couch it. 
it's the it's the equivalent of promoters casting couch because they'll let younger wrestlers blow them. Yeah. And but if you're a gay dude, is the thrill of that the power, or they can you just own, not get blown otherwise? It used to. No one was out back in my era. Everyone, anyone who was gay was still closeted. Right. So it was the thrill of straight dudes. So when people said wrestling was gay, they were kind of being accurate. Yeah. Like there's. <laughs> it literally thing. was gay. It. But it's now so corporatized. Like that era doesn't. No one could get blown producing shows anymore. <laughs> We're we're relics like the old guys from my era. The guy like, who were blowing dicks just to get on a match. Man, it, look, <laughs> if I had the inkling, I could have been in WWE very easily. Wait, you think you could have blown enough dicks to make the WWE? I could have blown the right dicks. You mean like like you can think of one or two people? I okay, I'll say this. like when they say one or two moments I, I in your had, life. Yeah. When I was eighteen, I had uh, the former owner of a very prominent pro wrestling company come on to me in his locker room. Okay. Um, Do you have a nice piece? It, he didn't take it out, but like it was like touchy feely, looking me in the eye. And right. I was like, oh, okay, like, and I just kind of like let myself out of the room because right. it's like this. This is my boss. I can't hit him. Um, but certain things happen, and he did that to a lot of other younger guys. And some um, of them have careers now because they clearly just exactly. went for it. And then some of them, like some of them, are super mind fucked, and one killed themselves because of the whole fucking. Yeah, it's a very. I'm happy to be part of this new wave of kind of like not making it as predatory and don't not making the younger kids suck your dick to get it. No, ahead. no, no, no one. Look, <laughs> if you're listening to this younger talent, sucking my dick is not a prerequisite to work for Capital Wrestling. What about Matt's dick? No, 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 no. We'll be super, uh, you know, super progressive about it. That's we'll be PC about it to that front, like. You, capital wrestling, where you don't have to suck a dick to get a job. Maybe I think in today's Me Too moment, that might be a good marketing slogan for you guys. I think it's pretty. I think I'd like no that. dick we'll sucking necessary. Where we're gonna get a nice banner made, put it out in front of. No, we're not gonna do that. No, 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 no. But like, it's it's seriously like, pro wrestling is the bastard child of the entertainment and sports industries. So you're gonna get how much is Vince McMahon worth? Almost a billion, no. if not a billion. Yeah. Is that? I think with the stock where it is right now, he's over a billion. But he also sold a decent amount of it to re- bring back the XFL. Is he doing that in the? Yeah, end he's going to be doing it in 2020. What's uh? Well, further yeah. the Trump thing. What's his sales pitch this time around with the last? Because last time the where, talent just wasn't oh, as good, so it was where, boring. But where everyone stands for the anthem, um, he's going the America route because uh, okay. him That's and Trump, work. best buddies. And Trump gets into a fight with the NFL, and Vince just so happens to take out $100 million worth of his stock to start a fucking stupid football league again. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think people want a second well, NFL. it's because there's not enough... Demand for it. And there's not enough talent out there. That's the other thing, yeah. Like, there's not enough guys who are... I NFL. feel that way every time I watch a sport. Like, there's sports that I'm not that interested in, but when the bet... like. Wh- to, I don't. I don't enjoy watching a basketball game. But if I turn on a game and LeBron is just owning the court, I mean owning the court, that's a thrill to watch. Like I remember when uh, the two guys who I saw just dominate a football game was Michael Vick in his prime, when that guy could just like dismantle an entire other team. Now, like 
that was just fun to watch. I didn't even really follow football other than the Giants. I was a dire Giants fan, but like just watching Vic own the court, you know what I mean? Like that's fun. The other one who I saw do it was um, Peyton Manning, like when he was in his prime and in the zone, oh, and he yeah. was just like a one man team. It was like he was playing a chess game, and he was just like the mastermind to it. Like watching someone who's just phenomenally good. You know what I mean? Not just good. Like that's just like good is boring. Fucking but good. a guy who's next level. Like he's in like a different dimension. Yeah. Um, where, where do we come to this? I, I forgot why oh, I started fuck. saying this. Um, oh yeah, the XFL. Oh, so and that's not where enough good players. The to XFL. Go it was like watching a college game where you're not even like a fan. You know what I mean? Like there was just no point to See, it. See, the whole thing with the first XFL was the idea of bringing back old school football. Now right. they can't do that because of the whole CTE thing. What they're saying, right? Because they tried to be like, this is going to be more violent. It's going to be yeah. like none of that pussy shit. Like, they also had strippers as cheerleaders. They had Opie and Anthony as the fucking commentators. They How did that not work? Edgy. Opie and Anthony, like, that's great. This was, and they went super edgy with it. And it was yeah. the, the actual game of it all wasn't that good, right? So no one, no one gave a fuck, like. How is the arena football league? I've never watched an arena it's football down league to game like, in my life. It's like, down to six teams. The a arena team with league? only two wins won the championship this year. And the four. I think the teams that are left are owned by four people. The thing with the XFL right now, there's another league being made by Dick Ebersol's kid, the All-American Football League. They're basically trying to win football. Dick Ebersol is a TV guy, right? Yeah, Who he was he? the guy that co-created the XFL with Vince McMahon. No, but what's he like? Uh, what does he have his money from? Uh, NBC. He was the NBC right, sports right, right. guy. He, okay. he saved SNL in the 80s. He was the one that hired right, Piscopo right. and Eddie Murphy. They're battling for football's middle class. They're fighting for the guys that didn't necessarily make it in the NFL, the Johnny Manziels, the Tim Tebows, but they're also trying to come up and be the NFL's developmental league because... Basically the minor league. Yeah, they're trying to be the minor league. They're trying to be an alternative. And that's kind of what independent wrestling and what the wrestling class after 2001 has been, fighting to either be the the WWE alternative or to be that second class, that second tier. And that's one of those things where it's been very hit or miss in every sport. The secondary league has not worked since the WHA in the 1970s. You 80s. know what I think doesn't work to me, just conceptually? Like, what you guys have with the wrestling thing is you're a bunch of people who can't afford a porch. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> people. <laughs> People were rude for that, where it's like, oh, this is like underground. These people are doing this for the love of the game. They're doing something more original and creative. Everyone kind of like rallies behind that. It's the underdog. It's but the when you're the DIY spirit. It's the DIY. It's the DIY spirit, and it's also the underdog. What people don't, what just McMahon doesn't have is everyone's like. All right, it's the wrestling asshole who's trying to make money doing something else. Go fuck. And by the way, I bet, like, you're, I, I'm just assuming, tell me if I'm wrong here. I'm just talking out of my ass on this one. Your best television wrestling numbers, the best ever, if you had that for a football game, it would be an absolute failure, I'm assuming. Oh, um, no. no the what best, are the ratings on, like, uh, the, like. The numbers, okay, if you're going back to, like, the mid 90s. They were getting nines and tens in the ratings. But that's sometimes. I know. I'm, I'm talking. If you're like, talking yeah. now, it's your best wrestling numbers will average like your lowest like Sunday night football. Before numbers. SmackDown, were they ever like on primetime wrestling? Like wrestling was like Fox Five, eight p.m. No, SmackDown, SmackDown on uh, UPN was the first time that it was primetime. That primetime. The one thing they did have was Saturday night's main event with NBC back in the early, the late 80s, early 90s. Right. But that was only, what, like once a month or once every two months? 
It would be around once or twice a month, but during the mid-season when SNL would go on break, they would do weekly or do pretty much semi-weekly, and they would get huge numbers. What Andre Hogan in the '88, their rematch in February, was one of the highest-rated television specials of all time. It's the highest-rated, I think. That was non-pay-per-view. Non-pay-per-view, right on NBC. I gotta tell you, like I, I understand boxing makes enough money that I get why they do it, but if I was like UFC or some of these other companies. I would just want eyeballs. Like, I would rather be on Fox 5, Sunday night, like, NFL, 9 p.m. I'm sure they do their math and, like, their pay-per-views make enough money, but I would want to do one or two of, like, those cards and try and get everybody in their house watching that shit. Like, Well, the whole thing with sports rights right now is distribution. The UFC has this hybrid deal with ESPN where it's ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. Boxing is going primarily on cable there's some terrestrial on chat on fox but right now when you're a sports brand and we could speak for ourselves here it's all in terms of distribution it's about getting on platforms and becoming advertiser friendly right like sports like the u.s like mma and boxing and wrestling you can advertise every quarter inch of that the nfl's proven it nascar's definitely proven it the the issue with wrestling and combat sports is they kind of have this second class of sport where they have to fight up. They're not necessarily titans of business and titans of industry that right. own these companies. It's not like a Jerry Jones who's an oil magnate can buy the Dallas Cowboys and there's not a lot of organization. Like if you look at boxing, there's like 87 governing bodies and there's these different promoters right. who run their different companies. MMA, there's about two top promotions, if that. And there's one dominant brand leader, and there's one that's owned by Paramount. So that's got to be, by the way, to me, one of the like greatest thrills in the world. I don't really follow sports anymore. I used to be a diehard Giants fan, and I know the feeling of going to a Giants game and like having your entire identity wrapped up in "Is my team going to win?" I've been there. I've experienced that thing. Yes. it's got to be the world's greatest feeling when you actually own the team and so like literally if they win you're a winner and you're making the money like Mark Cuban when he goes to the Dallas Mavericks games like oh yeah it must you're be not special like you're not being like us we're being fucking losers that we're rooting for other adult men who are kicking around a ball like it's fucking stupid but when you own the team and it's literally like oh we just won we're gonna make more advertising dollars that's got to be that's got to just feel amazing oh it's look when you when you see people coming out for some shit you put together it's fucking one of the most unreal experiences. When you when you make people react to something you just wrote, there's few more gratifying experiences on earth in the sense of like holy shit it works. Right. Like, what the fuck? This works. Like this it worked. Like we we did it. Like what the fuck? It's really like I know that's like there's such a lack of fucking vocabulary used to describe the feeling, but it's a feeling. It's not a thing, so it's hard to fucking describe. All right, you know, unless someone else has something that they want to throw out to our listeners, we're gonna I, I, I pl- plug uh, plug Capital Wrestling one more time. Definitely get it in. All right, Capital Wrestling, the colossal confrontation. Basically, the biggest thing we've ever undertaken in our professional lives is going to be Saturday night, September first. Spend your Labor Day weekend with us. Come get drunk. Come get something to eat. Come watch dudes beat the shit out of each other. Come watch ladies beat the shit out of each other. It's the funnest time you can have with your pants on. Well, for the most part, if you have a zipper. But it's 
It's our weekly television every single week. We have a two-hour block on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Capital Wrestling. All 71 episodes are for absolutely free on YouTube at youtube.com slash Capital Wrestling. If you want to see people who believe in something, if you want to see people who bust their asses every week, you know, Gas Digital has this real DIY vibe. There's a whole bunch of people out there who are working really hard to make their own version of art, and that's what we do. And if you want to watch people get very angry, get very loud, and then punch each other in the mouth, this is what you want to come see. Check us out, Facebook.com slash Capital Wrestling, Twitter.com slash Capital Wrestling. Leave off the last G for goodness. Um, I'd like to plug Evolving with Corey Castle, my roommate's podcast. It's really fucking dope. Everyone should listen to it. Um, hand jobs, Matt Marion and Chris Crespo, Capital Wrestling's own Matt Marion and Chris Crespo's web series. Um, Robbie, thank you so much for having us on and uh, accepting my porch as an offering. Yes. To all of this. And, uh, you know, anytime I can just hang out in a dumpy alleyway, it's a good evening for me. Of course. Nothing quite like traveling from Astoria to hang out in beautiful places like this. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, and uh, uh, one more. I think we're going to have two more porch episodes left. One is I'm going to be out in Newport, Rhode Island uh, next week. No. No, no, no. Next week, I don't know what I'm going to do next week. Two weeks from now, I'm out in Rhode Island. I don't know. If you listen to the show and you live in Rhode Island, you got a porch, not an alleyway, hit me up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rob's Newsroom at gmail.com. And then uh, we're going to do the last episode uh, somewhere in the city. So uh, thanks again. Have a good night. Bye.